If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying. Is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted. Is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Sixth Sense Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to the Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Bro, I'm actually pretty excited to to do some learning this time. Learning? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, if, if, if you want to call it learning, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited as well. Um, we have, a, I consider this a special guest, a guest that um, I, I have a, a history with, Randall Lankheat. Welcome to the show. Yes, thanks. Great to um, be with you guys. Yeah, I, I, I was gonna call you Pastor uh, Randall Lanky, yeah, but you always tell me not that. to. Yeah, just but you, that. you know what? Okay, but I'll be honest. To me, I have a hard time. Like to me, out of respect, I always uh-huh. call you Pastor Rand because to me, you're you're always be my pastor. You'll always <laughs> well, be my pastor. So I want to honor you that way. Yeah. Yeah, and and you were sitting there in a congregation where I was the the pastor, the preacher, and you know it's sort of like having professors in university. Yes, like it's hard yes. to get even if you even if they're kind of your age or they're younger, and then they drop the professor name, it it's yes. still hard to relate to them on a first name basis. Yes. So, for example, um, I, I have a professor who is uh, my pref- professor at Tyndale, and he goes to church with me, and I still call him professor. Um, my, my yeah. principal, you know, you know, William wants me to call him William, but I would, to me, I don't know. It's just a respect thing, man. I'm like, look, yeah, man, you're the principal, right. you're the professor, yeah. you're the pastor. That's <laughs> right. Hey, and I have a bishop's ring on my finger. If you want to kiss okay. that ring sometime, <laughs> you know, feel free. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. oh my God. That's funny. That's funny. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, so, so let me, let yeah, me contextualize my, my learning comment. Cause there's like, mm. and again, not to say that I'm probably a little bit off base with my perspective walking into this, which is where the learning comes from. You know, my exposure to, let's say, the Reformed Church in general, or or the CRC, Christian Reformed Church, is, and again, I don't even know if this is the right connection, but I'm sort of, is is more so the Dutch Reform. And even mm. my wife, it sort of started with my wife's exceptional skills at Dutch Blitz, which <laughs> would sort of fall into the, you know, the, the Dutch Reformed Church, but then also yeah. sort of my understanding of, let's say, the culture that that, yeah. um, you know, ecclesiology, if that's not necessarily mm-hmm. the right word, but but sort of, yeah. Um, yeah. my my understanding is relatively vague from, mm-hmm. you know, I, I met a couple people at Ezra Institute, gained a little bit more understanding. Um, and so hopefully for myself, and I'm assuming a lot of our listeners, there may be some just just stuff that we're we're not exposed to that we're gonna yeah and also also joel we also have a um um a lot of um dutch listeners so Mm -hmm. shout shout out to the vandermeers shout out to the (laughs) beanstras right so 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 they're listening and they're like oh all those those last names beginning with the letter a (laughs) the stras and the smas and of course the vanders and the duh whatever um, yep. Yes, that yep. those are giveaways. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 So I, 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 and I have a lot of uh, friends. Yeah, um, who are from the um, the the CRC Dutch Reformed Church, mm-hmm. and and I guess part of the conversation comes from um, a lot of them making comments about the that the 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 CRC the Christian Reformed Church is is kind of straying in a way, and we'll we'll, we'll get to that later. But but we want to. Um, we want to scaffold using teaching language, 
Mm-hmm. You want to scaffold and gradually develop this idea of um, the connection between ethnicity and denomination and, mm. and, and, and the complexities of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but, but to start, just for those who aren't clear, um, or actually, we should start with, with who you are and your background. And we'll, why don't you tell us a little yeah, bit? Yeah, besides Darnell's pastor. Yeah, yeah, that's right. For for two months, that's for two months, and maybe yeah, maybe maybe months. if there's time, maybe maybe if there's time, I can kind of get into the background of that story. But go ahead, go ahead, <laughs> yeah. go ahead, Ray. Yeah. So, um, my own personal background: I was raised in Western Michigan. Uh, not, you know, we're here in Ontario in the Greater Toronto area, so not the east side of the state of Michigan, the Detroit side, but the far side uh, towards Lake Michigan, closer to Chicago. And that's where an, an original immigrant colony was started in 1846, 1847, um, with just a handful of, of Dutch immigrants. But there's been actually um, Dutch immigrants on the United States side ever since colonial times. So New York City was originally New Amsterdam, and the oldest organized church on American soil was found in New Amsterdam, New York City, established in the year, get this, 1628. Mm. So though a lot of people aren't familiar with Dutch or Dutch Reformed, it's it's an old presence, at least in the States, a little more recently in Canada, post-World War II more, but waves of immigrants. Um, yeah, New York State still has uh, towns and villages with Dutch names. And, mm-hmm. uh, so, so the Dutch colonized, uh, New Amsterdam for about 50 years. And then the British took over and then it became New York, York being, you know, the Duke of York and York being a region in, uh, in, in, in England. So, so the mm-hmm. Dutch population has, has always been in North America, really right from the, right from the earliest days of colonialism. Um, so, and actually, the first denomination was not the Christian Reformed Church. On North American soil, the original denomination was what today is known as the Reformed Church in America. So if you're doing alphabet soup, you know, I was raised in the CRC, the Christian Reformed Church. But the older Dutch Reformed Church uh, in North America was the Reformed Church in America, the RCA. And they go back to that first congregation, 1628. Mm. So there's a there's an old history. I mean, George Washington, uh, when he was fighting in the Revolutionary War, there, there's stories about him stopping at the Dutch pastors, you know, parsonage, and meeting there with with some leading men of the town, uh, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So that's an old history. The CRC is is, is more recent uh, in the grand grand scope of things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my own personal history then starts with with 1847, the Dutch colonists in Western Michigan, and really in the 1840s, it was kind of a time in Europe where wars had been fought. Um, there was peace generally. There was economic turmoil. The uh, potato blight, which really hit uh, Ireland and somewhat in England, and then cross into the continent in the Netherlands. And, and the farmers, especially uh, more on the east side of the Netherlands towards Germany, were, were all farmers. And that, uh, yeah, it, it was some hard years of, of crop failure. 
And then you had the government, which there was still a time where the state was controlling the church. And, and this is a problem in church history. Of course, it goes back to Roman Catholic days, where what's the relationship between the Pope and the emperor? <laughs> and of a course, little too friendly. Yeah, too friendly. And there was competition and popes would, you know, excommunicate emperors and all of that. And well, the same thing after the Reformation with Martin Luther in Germany, that's 1517, is, is Luther thought in that way also. And so did John Calvin, who we identify more with reformed churches, that still somehow the governor or the king or the prince should be the protector of the state church. But yeah, we, we know that leads to all kinds of problems. And um, it was really only the Mennonites out of the Reformation time that sort of had that right, that ideally church and state have to be separate, operating in their own spheres. The church can inform the state. The state can you know, do some protection of the freedoms of the church. But um, mm -hmm. keep those spheres uh, somewhat distinct and separate. Yeah. What brought you to to um, um, to Canada? What brought me to Canada after seminary? My first church was in Michigan, where all my family lives. Then I did a fifteen year stint out in Los Angeles, part of California, Southern California, and then the church, the Reformed Church in Toronto, this which was the Christian Reformed Church, heard of me in California. It's we don't have a big denomination and said, well, uh, this guy has been able to reach into the community. It became more of a multi-ethnic church. And uh, hey, we need a pastor like that who can try to reach out into our community and uh, is comfortable with people of different backgrounds, but yet is reformed in his theology. So I arrived here in, in 2004 to be pastor then of that church. And I, I, I finished- And that was uh, CRC? And that, well, already, <laughs> already the CRC had been having problems for the previous 30, 40 years, issues, conflict. And there was a group of us who were CRC, but more, shall we say, on the conservative side, the historic side of what it meant to be reformed. We said this is going in a wrong direction in our opinion and, and from biblical issues. So there were about 30... 30 or 40 of us who in the first year, year and a half, separated from the CRC, had votes in our churches, congregations voted by majority to leave the CRC. And then we eventually formed what has become known as the United Reformed Churches of North America. But that word united, it kind of works in the States. But when mm -hmm. you say united here in Canada, of course, we have the big United Church of Christ here the UCC. Right. So I would get telephone calls all the time, being United <laughs> Reform from people who thought we were just United Church, which is mm -hmm. a more progressive denomination. Mm -hmm. But I'm technically part of the United Reform Churches. There's now about 120 United Reform Churches, mostly in the US, about 30 of them in Canada. Mm -hmm. Right. But of the broader Dutch Reformed, and there's not to bore you guys or bore the listeners, but there are probably seven or eight Dutch Reformed denominations. Hmm. There is, for example, in addition to the CRC, Christian Reformed, the Reformed Church in America, there's the Canadian Reformed Church, there's the Free Reformed Church, there's the Netherlands Reformed Church, there's the Heritage Reformed Church, there's yeah. the Protestant Reformed Church, <laughs> and all of them come out of that same Dutch it uh, background. 
Actually, you know, it's funny. I'm glad you brought that up because for a time before I got to you, um, this is after I left um, um, when I, when I left my Pentecostal church. Um, I was at uh, the Canadian Reformed. Um, uh. Yeah, so Sam Say and I were going to church together there for a bit, um, and then that was kind of weird. Um, okay. They have that was some unique. Weird. They have some yeah. unique things, all, like yeah. exclusively, uh, mostly psalm singing. Their their songbook, they sing a lot yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, so I, I guess for the yeah. listeners now, yeah. where our 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 our, our, path, our, our paths cross. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm 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 in the middle of looking for a church, and the way I see it is, you got to spend time at a church to get to know it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I googled, and I and I ended up finding your church, and I ended up. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Tyra and I, um, we were um, we weren't married then, and we went to visit um, mm-hmm. the church. You the covenant. Were at, covenant, covenant, yeah, yeah, Co- yeah covenant, church, which yep. which is in Rexdale, which is in Rexdale, in the which Rexdale is a, part, which which is a which is 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 a multicultural or predominantly uh, yes. Indian black area. Yep. If anybody doesn't know, and so yep. you know, we 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 were um, attending your church for a while, mm-hmm. um, about two months. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it, it, it was good. And actually the, the, the church there, there's a, there's a house on the property, which you were living at. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. The, so the parsonage, the parsonage the- or in Canada, they will call it more the manse. Okay. Man. okay. Okay. Well, Man. it's funny because the the first time um I um I met you um you, you invited me over um after service I came to mm-hmm. service and you invited me over to your to your place and so uh, I I never told you this story but when so when you invited <laughs> me over to your place me and Tyra right so we come over uh-huh. for dinner you invite us over uh-huh. and um and so we came in and so um you know I'm taking off my jacket and then. Um, this black lady comes and starts taking and it comes to take my jacket. And, and, and I whispered to Tyra, I said, Oh my gosh, he, 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 he even has servants here, man. This is, this is crazy. <laughs> right? I was like, look at this guy, this guy, right? This, this guy has servants, this guy has waiters and waitresses. I'm like, Oh man, man, reformed church does it big, man. They, they'd be working black people. <laughs> then I find out it's the man's wife, and I'm just like, oh, like, oh, yeah. my, my, my fault, my fault, my fault, my fault. So it's not only white folk who can confuse sometimes black folk, you know. Yeah. Is, that the, is that the doctor or is that the orderly? And oh, yeah, confusion. I, I, so sorry. I, I, I thought she was the help here. Mm-hmm. I, right. I, I, I thought she was the help. So you know, like I was like, okay, I was like, okay, okay, so okay, so 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 he loves black people. So at that point, it's okay. All right, he loves black women. I love black women. Yeah. Hey, yeah. we're go. cool. Yeah, it's not go. so bad. Yes. 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, but 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 my time there with, with you was um was a blessing, and you were you gave uh, Tyra and I some really great counsel, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then but then you ended up leaving the church. Well, I took basically early retirement. Um, you know, I think pastoring has to be one of the most difficult, and, and especially following COVID and the political upheavals, you know, in the last four or five years, you know, to try to be a pastor of a diverse congregation with people of different backgrounds, different expectations, different opinions, different issues from the scripture to try to maintain unity and to handle complaints. And, and in my um, 31 years of being an active pastor, I was really the solo pastor. And, and there was an expectation on us in our denomination not to not only preach a sermon on Sunday morning, but we had an afternoon service 
with a different sermon, with the same people coming back, not as well attended, but uh, to hear a second sermon. So every week I had to prepare two sermons. And when you're doing that, you know, 52 weeks out of the year, give myself four weeks of vacation, yeah. 48 weeks out of the year, plus Christmas and Good Friday yeah. and yeah. Pentecost. But, and it, well, it just is overwhelming to, to try to be a pastor, I think. Okay. Okay. So, so let's get into church polity because, <laughs> because, because you're bringing this up. So uh-huh. CRC uh-huh. is a Presbyterian church. Yeah. So Presbyter- instead of saying, I, I think it's better, Darnell, if you're willing and, and Joel, uh-huh. sure. let's just talk about Reformed churches. You know, okay. Just, just reformed. Well, okay. Go ahead. Well, what's what's Reformed Church? Yeah. So, so Reformed gets its word from the Protestant Reformation, that movement begun by Martin Luther, nailing the ninety-five thesis on the door of the Wittenberg Church in on October thirty-one, fifteen seventeen. So that began what later was called then the Protestant Reformation. Luther wasn't doing it, saying, "I am starting the Reformation," but you guys are enough historians to know that these eras in history finally get a name put on them. Mm-hmm. And what Luther began in 1517, you know, he even matured as, as he was studying the scriptures more. Um, and so by 1521, he was completely done with papal authority, the Pope having authority, and was really getting into the book of Romans and was discovering more and more and more. And then about 20 years after him comes a guy in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, by the name of John Calvin. And it's really Calvin that the Reformed churches um, take a lot of teaching, interpretation of the Bible. Calvin was such a Bible scholar. He wrote commentaries on almost every book of the Bible. He preached uh, three, four, five times a week. He taught seminarians. He had a photographic memory. He wrote in Latin, and then he also translated his works into French, so that the modern French language owes a lot even to John Calvin as he was having to find words, new French words for theology and and from the Bible and and biblical uh, translation. So Reformed churches really come, you could call it even the Reformational church movement, kind of combining the Lutherans along with the Calvinists together, kind of a Mm Lutheran-Calvin combo that goes forward into history. And part of that ends up in the Netherlands, but there was also a German reformed church. There was also a French reformed church. Um, so what does it mean to be reformed? What, what is a reformed church? Like what makes the church reformed? Yeah. And uh, boy, this is a whole podcast, just, just a whole episode <laughs> right there. Huh? What does it mean to be a reformed church? Um, Luther was interested in just getting back to basic Bible teachings, cut out all the man-made traditions that had grown up in Catholicism, in Roman Catholicism. Um, you know, seven sacraments, well, where do you find, you know, you can find two of them, baptism and the Lord's Supper, but where do you find extreme unction as a sacrament? Where is it ever said that marriage is a sacrament? Taking on holy orders, ordination, is that a sacrament? So, so Luther and Calvin both, it was, let's go back to the Bible. Let's cut out these man-made teachings, not only traditions and practices, but also some theology. Where do you find purgatory in the Bible? You can find heaven, you can find hell, but this middle space to get your sins purged after you die, uh, where a soul, a, a believer's soul could spend hundreds, even 
thousands or tens of thousands of years going through the fires of purgatory? Where's that taught in the Bible? So in its broadest sense, to be reformed is just to be biblical, get back to basic Bibles. But, you know, every Baptist, every Methodist, every Pentecostal would say, well, we're just all about the Bible, the Bible only. And um, so then you give a little more definition. And typically, you know, out of the Lutheran side of the Reformation, you have things like um, justification. Uh, well, the five big solas in Latin, sola fide, we are saved by faith alone. Sola gratia, by God's grace alone. Salvation is a free gift graciously offered in Jesus. Solus Christos, in Christ alone not based on Mary or the saints, only in Christ. And ultimately, uh, soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Uh, that kind of became some of the rallying cries early on in the Reformation. Mm -hmm. And then I guess Calvin added things as it went along. Um, yeah, to get kind of de detailed about it. The doctrines of grace, a lot of Reformed Baptists, and, and more and more broadly now in the church world, the doctrines of grace. God's grace is sovereign. God reaches down and changes uh, the hearts of stone, unbelievers' hearts, and puts in them a heart of flesh. That's a work of God. Sinners don't do it to themselves. Sinners don't make themselves be born again. No, they are born again. A baby doesn't born himself or herself but the mother gives birth to the baby. So it really emphasizes ultimately the Calvin side of the Reformation would be emphasizing the sovereignty of God and connected with that, the sovereignty of God over all areas of life. So the whole idea of the, the kingdom of God that encompasses all of human reality, all of human culture, all of human learning, um, those would be some, some themes that uh, aren't probably as well known, but for John Calvin, these themes were, were near and dear. All of life under the sovereignty of God and under the, the order of God and under the, a biblical perspective, mm -hmm. a, a real world and life view. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. would, I mean, the, the, would, would I be wrong to say some of the, you know, the doctrines of grace and, and the Calvin principles to some extent that you're, you're walking through are a, development under the reformation yeah uh, and and i wanted to go back to, uh, at least for me as, and maybe this is an oversimplification but i've always thought of the five solas as something that sort of aligns mo like if i'm if if a church aligns with that a lot of times mm -hmm. i would align them with sort of reformed maybe not completely but but a lot of parallels to reformed uh, yeah theologies. the lutherans though would hold to the solas too i mean martin luther was probably the one who, uh, especially Sola Scriptura, that was the one I left out. You know, the Bible alone. Mm -hmm. We don't go to church tradition with a capital T as the Roman Catholics do. Two sources of authority. You have the Bible on the one hand, the inspired word of God, but then you have the inspired tradition of the, of the, of the popes that was spoken officially when he was on his throne, ex cathedra, pronouncements, papal pronouncements, which were taken as having equal authority to the word of God. Mm -hmm. So when you go to, a historic Roman Catholic, and you say, I can't find purgatory in the Bible, they would say, well, that, that's not a problem because our, it's in our tradition. It's mm. a papal pronouncement. Uh, we might say, where is the bodily assumption of Mary, that Mary never died, but she was taken up to heaven bodily? 
Where is that? Mm. No, it's not in the Bible, but church tradition with a capital T pronounced by one of the popes. And usually it's not one pope alone, but a, a succession of popes will, will mm-hmm. repeat the same thing until it becomes part of the accepted teaching of the church. So, so Luther was one to really say, no, it's got to be the Bible alone, the Bible mm-hmm. alone, the 66 books of the Bible. In some, I think the early Lutherans accepted the apocryphal books, but generally Protestants came to settle on the, the 66 books of the Bible, having the, the, the only authority for life and doctrine. Uh-huh. So, so, uh, if, you know, if, if someone's looking at churches and they say, okay, the, you know, as we said, the five solas as an mm-hmm. identifying, uh, mm-hmm. what would be sort of the additional, you know, differentiating, overriding things that they would identify in a church to go, okay, that's a reformed church? Yeah, I would say in that regard, it really comes down to soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, that mm. you're going to find in the more reformational churches, um, the more self-identifying reformed churches, you're going to find the sovereignty of God in salvation. That God, for example, according to Ephesians 1, has a plan of election from eternity, that even before the world was created, God chose those out of the human race who would belong to Christ. He didn't choose everyone. He chose only some. And it, it, it's just really throughout the New Testament. I mean, it's even through the Old Testament that God you know, even says to Israel, look, I didn't choose the nations. I chose you. And why should I have chose you? Actually, you were the fewest among the peoples. You were the weakest. Your forefather Abraham was bowing down to idols in Ur of Chaldeans. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just had mercy on him. I chose him out of the nations to belong to me. So so you're going to find in in specifically Reformed churches, the sovereignty of God in salvation, that he not only has an eternal plan of election or call it predestination, but then he actively works in the unbeliever's heart. Before the unbeliever can take a step towards God, God takes a step towards the unbeliever. God has to plant the seed of new life. So the teaching of regeneration before conversion, that God has to plant the seed of new life in the unbeliever's heart, first of all. So that when the unbeliever even starts asking questions, hey, is there a God? Might there be a God? Hey, can I read your Bible? Even when an unbeliever often is starting to ask a question of a believer, we often will take that as a sign that this may be someone who is already the seed of faith, the seed of new life has been implanted in them. Because out of the old nature, Paul says you're dead in your sins and transgressions in which you used to walk, Ephesians 2 verse 1. You're spiritually dead. And a spiritually dead person is not going to ask deeper questions about the meaning of life and who Jesus is and is he a sinner and what does God think of him? and mm-hmm. um, Right, right, right. Yeah, unless they're just right. doing a comparative religion sort of thing. So sovereignty of God, plan of election, God working first to regenerate someone uh, yeah. even prior to their conversion. Conversion is the conscious side of it, whereas regeneration is more the unconscious side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus mm-hmm. said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, what? No, no, no. It's like the wind. The spirit just blows. You don't see it. You don't understand it. It's very mysterious. When was I regenerated? I don't know. An unbeliever could have been, or someone who becomes a believer could have been regenerated a full year before he comes to real conscious awareness that he really wants Jesus. Yeah, well, that's good. That, if those are the components that make a Reformed church, 
Uh, Those are part can, of that. Can, I mean, just looking at yeah, the doctrines of yeah. salvation. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, well, I, I guess, I guess looking at uh, some of the issues that, that I found with the CRC um, mm-hmm. issues with, um, with, with their views on gender and sexuality. Uh, um, can you still hold to those views and still be a reformed church? Um, there was um, issues with with having um, um, females in in office and right. um, their views on on um, the LGBTQ two. Yeah. So I don't know to what degree you you guys know the the current church scene, you know, in the mainline denominations. So the United Church, for example, or the Presbyterian Church in Canada, the Anglican Church. So though they carry the name. Anglican, or they carry the name United, which United is actually a merger of the old Presbyterians and the old Methodists and the old Congregationalists. That's why here in Canada, we don't see Methodist churches. Mm. They merged in the 1920s to become this United Church. Mm. But all of these generally mainline denominations that have been around for a hundred years or longer, almost all of them have strayed from their roots. Why? Well, a number of reasons, but it seems like this is just due to human depravity and human sinfulness and human tendency to uh, gradually depart from the truth, not in an individual person, but as the generations go on, it just seems to be the tendency to want to dilute a truth. I mean, to some degree, you see that in secular movements too, be it the Enlightenment, the Reformation. I mean, pick your movement. There'll probably be uh, some decline in in the in the early principles of that movement. Sometimes it can be for the better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it can straighten out. But in churches, almost exclusively, it, it's been a downhill trajectory of every denomination. Well, so when we well, say, yeah. has the CRC gone downhill? I would doctrinally, let's say, it's view of the scripture and picking right. up these more socially progressive things, gender, sexuality, um, women's ordination isn't quite of the same level, but it's another sort of marker, sometimes moving in that direction. Ecumenical, you know, praying with Muslims, we all believe in one God, that whole kind of thing, universal, more of a universalism. All older denominations have, have, have really gone that way. So, so it's not unique to the to the Christian Reformed Church or to the Reformed Church in America. The Reformed Church in America has even gone further in its drift in the states uh, mm-hmm. than the CRC has. The CRC, yeah. it's seminary, and I know the professors. Yet, I, I read some of their writings, and by and large, pretty reformed and pretty solid on reform principles. Uh, but yep. many of the churches have been drifting, and yeah, what, what brings that? I, I guess you guys have some input on that. Too, right? What do you see in churches? It's the culture that starts infecting it. After a while, there's no discipline. See, Reformed churches, and Calvin knew this way early in, in, in the 1500s. Mm-hmm. He said the marks of the true church are really two main marks, and that is the pure preaching of God's word and the right administration of the two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. But then he added, or it soon became added, a third mark, and that is the faithful exercise of church discipline. Because if you're not willing to discipline your pastors, if they drift off, then really you have no teeth to the pure preaching of God's word and the right administration of the sacraments. You need discipline. You need some mechanism in place that if a pastor starts departing 
from biblical theology, he can be suspended from his office and even deposed from his office. Right, right. And, and that's why I brought up the idea of the concept of being a Presbyterian mm -hmm. um, and CRC being the covenant reformed was Presbyterian. Mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. I'm in a, a Baptist. And so the difference, correct me if I'm wrong, is um, when it comes to church polity, meaning mm -hmm. church politics and the way it's structured, mm -hmm. um, the presbyter, um, mm -hmm. meaning elders. Elder. Um, it's mm -hmm. elder-led, yeah, elder. It's elder-led. Elder-led. So, elder yeah. Um, as opposed to the, to the uh, Baptist, which is uh, congregational, but, yes. but still has elders, but it's more emphasis on the congregational-led. Mm -hmm. Versus the Presbyterian, which is mm -hmm. um, more of the elder-led, and and they're, they're both reformed. They're both reformed, but the implications are huge to what you just said, because yeah. if your pastor's stepping out of line, you yep. have elders that can that can check him. Yep. And yep. I, and I yeah right. So so we actually signed a statement when we became ordained, and all the reformed churches had this. Some have dropped it or or weakened it. But we actually had to sign our name to a document saying we believe the teachings found in our three doctrinal statements, which still are in the CRC, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, and the Canons of Dort. And if any differing opinions on any of those main doctrines arise in our minds, we are not free to teach them unless we first let the assembly of the church know that we're having a different opinion on some of these key doctrines. So it was really regulated that that pastors and elders also, when they would get ordained to their office, they would say, we also agree with the doctrinal statements of the church. But once mm -hmm. that starts slipping, once you're unwilling to discipline a pastor, let's say he starts saying, well, you know, a sincere Muslim, a sincere Hindu, you know, there's just one God. And if they're sincere and they're seeking and they're searching and their lives are reflecting a certain moral standard, they too will be saved. If a pastor is mm -hmm. starting to say that and he's not disciplined, he's not put out of his office, well, he just continues to say that. And after a while, that teaching impacts the congregation and, and, and the whole denomination, the whole association of churches. If they're tolerating heresy in one church, then it, it, it eventually sweeps through the whole denomination. Or it's at least tolerated in the whole denomination. Uh, I um I had a thought, and and a, mm -hmm. you know I'm curious your guys' take on this. You know the passage Second uh, Timothy four three and four about itching ears and essentially yes. you know they will accumulate for themselves teachers exactly. in accordance with their own desires. I was yep. curious yep. if you guys had a take on whether a congregational church versus the more presbyter presbyter approach uh -huh. presbyterian yeah, yeah. would be more inclined to not you know be like because this sort of speaks about the congregation accumulating mm -hmm. teachers in according with mm -hmm. their own desires and so mm -hmm. yeah just I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are in regards to that and how that aligns with what you're talking about with you know um church discipline towards pastors stepping out of line yeah Look, I, I think it's possible to have an independent congregation that is a faithful church and that holds to God's word and maintains, you know, biblical standards and solid preaching. The danger with that system, there's dangers also with, with broader like denominations or where churches are affiliated together. The danger of one individual church being independent is 
pastors by nature get a lot of authority. And the longer they stay in the church, the more authority goes to them. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. They're marrying people. They, you know, they they have the baptism or the dedication of that couple's babies. Then those teenagers, you know, those babies grow up, they become teenagers, they get married. A pastor who stays 30 years often can become almost like a pope. He has, though they might have elders in name, the pastor is just defaulted to. And and you guys are, you know, into political theory and economic theory, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. And mm-hmm. even despite good intentions, let, let me tell you, when I'm the man behind the box, the pulpit, and people are looking to me for answers, and I'm counseling people according to God's word, and I'm answering questions, it's 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 very difficult to be checking yourself and saying, I am not the ultimate answer man. Yes, I have answers mm-hmm. from God's word about the Bible, about theology, but, but mm-hmm. don't be necessarily asking me about politics or economics or even in some cases, marriage. I'm not trained as a marriage counselor. I, I know certain mm-hmm. principles about marriage. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but so many pastors in an independent congregation, if, if they've been there, in a lot of independent congregations, the planting church pastor, is he stays there until he retires. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes his son takes over, and you get a dynasty going. Whoa, whoa, yeah, no, no. And, and it can just become a very authority, even with the best intentions. So much authority yeah. goes to that mm-hmm. one man. Well, yeah, but, but I was going to answer what Joel, Joel, your question, if I could add to yep. answer what you were saying, Joel. Mm-hmm. I think part of the issue as well is that um, this is where you have, just like in, in, in politics, in the political system, you have checks and balances. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing in church polity of checks and balances. And this is where, this is why, this is the strength of the elder. Um, of of an elder led congregation. Now, th- th- there's pros and cons to both. So one isn't necessarily perfect. It's what mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. right. So, but the idea is that um, we had a we did a um, uh, an episode called "Sex, Gender, Race, and Denominations." A conversation with uh, Paul Carter, episode ninety six, and it was about a Baptist pastor uh, who came out as a trans woman during an mm-hmm. online sermon. Uh, this mm-hmm. was um, like in November twenty twenty. Mm -hmm. Uh, part of the um, Canadian Baptists of Ontario and Quebec, CBOQ. And so you you have this pastor who comes out during a sermon. Mm -hmm. Where were the elders to cut off his mic? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, or that, to make sure he doesn't go up, up on the pulpit next week. Well, well, yeah. or next week, right, right. But, but, yeah. but this is where where the checks and balances of having elders to hold each other accountable, and of course. Granted, everybody, you, you're not bringing in yes men, yeah. um, but but that you can hold the pastor accountable according to the word. Now, of and course, added the, to that, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, no, added to that, in 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 Presbyterian uh, church government, you not only have the local church with local body of elders, but then you have the presbytery, which is a regional uh, grouping of maybe 15, 20, 25 churches, and they meet twice a year and they will ask questions. So in the Reformed churches. We are at. We would be asked questions of the other pastors. Are you following things according to good order? Is doctrine right? Doctrine being taught, and then once a year you have your general assembly, where also again there's questions asked of member congregations. So you do have, as Darnell said, kind of the checks and balances, not only in the local church, yes. but you have regional bodies that meet, and one of the reasons they meet is to guard the orthodoxy of the church. 
Mm. Right, right. And and I guess but and I guess part of the negative aspect of 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 the having elders is that and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but then the that you can have the power concentrated at a certain place. Cause if it's the elders who bring in elders mm-hmm. versus the congregation who brings in the elders, the elder board can become a good old boys club. Yeah. Where yeah. certain people can't get in because it's the elders yeah. who are picking. Yeah. Well, and you, you also want to protect your a- protect your own power, right? Yeah. And in some individual churches, Baptistic churches, they may have elders. Sometimes they call them deacons, actually, supervising the congregation. But then sometimes a pastor handpicks people he's friendly with. And again, it's not sometimes intentional, but it can really become a a cabal of of a few men who are buddies who start running the church. And in 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 the Dutch Reformed churches, we actually have term eldership. So a three year term, and then you're out for a year or two. So you okay. always have new blood coming. And now the Presbyterians would have eldership for life. Um, so a little less fluid that way, but but it does provide a check and a balance. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners are probably wondering, or this is a common question that comes up a lot, um, the issue of denominations. Usually people mm-hmm. kind of say like, okay, well, denominations are a perfect example of the church being divided. And what would you say? And what would you say, Joel? What, what would I say to that? Oh, you're putting Joel on the spot. You're putting uh, Joel I, on the yeah, spot. No, wow. no, no. I mean, oh, I mean, sorry. No, no. I mean, I mean, first, 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 you, first, you pass the red, and then, okay. and then Joel well, can think about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I thought you were putting your buddy on the spot there. You know. Yeah. No. 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 Not on the spot. Yeah. Just but but he could jump in after. Well, denominations. You mean when you consider one denomination versus another denomination, like the Baptist versus no, the no, Anglicans no, versus the well, Lutherans? No, well, no, no. More so the the concept altogether, oh, whether it's whether it's Pentecostal or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, people will say, okay, like, and this is, I guess, this is just an apologetic point. Yeah. How would you respond to that? Because I, yeah. you know, because here we are. Because me and you, all three of us, we're here just talking about it like it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but so but, the, but it's a hang up. It's a hang up for people. So, for example, yeah. a very popular concept. I'm not sure if you've noticed this um, in the church is non-denominational. Yes, yeah, churches, right? Yeah, or oh, they'll call well, themselves community churches. We don't belong to any denomination. We're just a community church, a non-denominational church. Okay, actually, I I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know that that's what community meant. But go ahead. Well, we'll they will sometimes do that. Sometimes okay. they will do that. Okay, but it. It really is not completely accurate. Every pastor, at least I think every qualified pastor, should have seminary training from some seminary. And each seminary is going to have a theological perspective. You know, the Baptist Mm -hmm. Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, the Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or in Escondido, California, the Lutheran seminaries, the Pentecostal seminaries. So every man who's an ordained pastor has gotten his formal training somewhere. Now, I know it's even popular today to say, well, I don't want any formal training. I just want to depend on the Holy Spirit to guide me. And, you know, seminaries are a problem. Well, that's another issue. But, but everyone's got trained from a certain theological perspective. So while it's true, the local church may not be part of a denomination. Each pastor has a certain denominational perspective. And, and if, if someone says, I just read the Bible, you say, well, show me your library. And I can, by scanning a library, pretty much tell you, is that person leaning more Pentecostal 
more Lutheran, more Baptist, more Reformed Baptist, more Calvinistic. Mm. So you're going to then get that from the pulpit. It could be a non-denominational church, but every preacher is going to come from a certain theological viewpoint. It's impossible to have someone who says, I'm just about the Bible. You're going to interpret the Bible. I mean, you're, you're forced to interpret the Bible, right? When just using the one that, that you know, Calvinists love to, to use, the Ephesians 2 verse 1 that I quoted earlier, you know, uh, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. So when you're an unbeliever, you're dead in sin. What does it mean to be dead in sin? There's a whole raft of denominations who say, well, you're dead in the sense that you don't have faith, but you still have a spiritual mind. You can still, when someone preaches the Bible to you, you can still figure out the gospel in your natural self. There's a whole raft of denominations that say any unbeliever has of himself, apart from God's working, apart from any of God's grace, apart from the Holy Spirit, every unbeliever has natural ability to figure out the gospel and to come to faith. Other denominations say, no, natural man is dead. That means spiritually dead. And until God regenerates the heart, that person cannot take one step towards God. So every time you're going to interpret a verse, you're really already picking teams, which team you're, you're kind of on denominationally. So mm-hmm. um, coming back to the, yep. the, the question, because I think that's a good sort of the, the idea of is having different denominations mm-hmm. a bad thing? Does that demonstrate division? And and the way that I always understood it yep. was that you know from a biblical perspective we have like first order issues, second order issues, third order yeah. issues, yeah. And yeah. and you know the first order is essentially let's call it you know Christian like the things that define Christianity. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and the second order issues being the things that result in different denominations. Agree or disagree with our views? Give us your two cents. You can leave your comments on any of our social media platforms or email us at sixcentsreport at gmail.com. Six cents makes six cents makes six cents makes. I would I would generally agree with that. If by first order. You're talking things like uh, the inspiration of the Bible, the Trinity, Jesus being God and man. Yes. Death and resurrection. All true Christians would agree. Well, even the Roman Catholics would probably agree with those things. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that With that as well, Joel. Um, yep. Yeah, because part of it, too, is like, you know, primary issues, issues secondary issues, tertiary issues. Mm-hmm. Um, we do not have freedom to... To, to disagree whether on Jesus Christ is God or not. Right. That's that's a non-negotiable. The Trinity is non-negotiable. The authority of Scripture is non-negotiable. Yeah. Um, speaking in tongues is negotiable. Yeah. Church polity is negotiable. Mm-hmm. Women pastors is negotiable. Mm-hmm. But see, um, many people would put that in a second order oh, today, Darnell. Oh. They would say that's a second order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. That's, that's what I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's no, how I, you define I, yeah, your say. orders and, yeah. and how essential the Bible. But, but here, Joel, yeah. would be an example. So, pastor up front, it's time for the Lord's Supper. And he says, take the bread. Now, I want you to think back 2,000 years ago with Jesus on this cross. When we take this bread, we're just thinking back 2,000 years ago and trying to have memories of, of how tough it was for Jesus and how much he sacrificed for us. 
-hmm. Another pastor will take the bread and say, yes, there's a remembering of what happened in the past. But when you're eating in faith, the spirit is working in that moment, also in that sacrament. Mm. Now, those two opinions represent two or three different denominations. Mm -hmm. So right. behind almost every theological opinion of every sacrament, there's going to be an, a, a denomination associated with that. Yeah, actually, Pastor Ryan, that reminds me of the time uh, when I first came to your uh, came to your uh -huh. church. And, oh, we didn't um, let you partake of the Lord's Supper, yeah. probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, 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 Joel, so, so, I, so, we entire show up, right? We're like, oh, oh, communion Sunday. Okay, okay, praise God. And then th this um, this woman says, okay, um, she gives me a piece of paper, and I'm like, what's right. this for? She's like, um. Um, we we fence the table here, like like you have to fill out some paperwork <laughs> before before we let you take communion. Yeah. And Vitara, like what? Like oh, I never heard of this before, but okay. So yeah. anyway, so so you that's know, considered so part of the elders' duty that that it's really the members who the elders know are living faithful lives. They believe the right things and are living in accordance with the Bible. That they are the ones who should be partaking. I mean, Paul says in in First Corinthians eleven. Corinth, you're doing the Lord's Supper all wrong. Some of you are getting drunk. And he says even, you know, this is why some of you have, have gotten sick even. You're, you're, mm -hmm. you're making a mockery of the Lord's Supper and God's judgment is upon you. So mm -hmm. the Reformed and Presbyterian families of churches um, say, we really want to guard this table. We just don't want anyone from the street walking in without us knowing yeah, something about the table. Them. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Kind yeah, of yeah. a fence, a guard of the table. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was pretty interesting. So what the process is, I fill out the paperwork, yeah. the, yeah. and then so when I come in, and so before they take communion, um, they'll say, "Okay, we have guests with us." We're going um, to and this is, yeah, to this, this is yeah, this is this is Tyra and Darnell. Um, yeah. They're from this church. You yeah. know, they've been in the faith X amount of years. Whatever the case is, they stand up, people acknowledge, and then um, and then we um, join join in. And so that that kind of that was an encouragement to me because um, I've been to churches where um it's a free-for-all where where communion is given to um everybody and anybody um so i really appreciated the fact that um they cared enough to ask and say hey hold on you know just just for the sake of integrity and that you're not eating and drinking damnation onto yourself um we just want to make sure you know you're in the faith mm -hmm. and so i thought that was um you know that that, that, that was pretty uh cool uh, I'll but but get it, on that topic of the Lord's Supper, I guess denomination. No, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, because yeah. you brought it up on, on the difference. That's right. Thing this is yeah. where denominations come. Now, one bad thing, of course, of denominations is unbelievers just get confused. And so, I do think no matter what denomination you belong to, if you hold to those first tier, you know, we got to treat others of that first tier as fellow believers, and it doesn't do a whole lot of good to be bashing other denominations, mm -hmm. even in private conversations. I have some reformed friends who, who do a lot of bashing. And I say, but look, they are genuinely believers. And I don't know if it's edifying to be bashing fellow believers, you know, who are on the main things correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess what becomes more problematic, um, uh, I, I still remember the first time um, learning about the CRC, the Christian Reformed Church, was from one of my brothers at uh, Tyndale, and I didn't know what it was. Um, but but the connection between the Dutch community and and, and the CRC is pretty strong, um, mm. as, as as I've seen. Um, and so I guess doesn't it become problematic 
when an ethnicity is tied to a particular church denomination, especially if the church is is going more more liberal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, would, even if it stays conservative. I mean, you have the same problem with the Italian Catholics, mm-hmm. you know, or the Nigerian Pentecostals. Or the Chinese um, Baptists. Or the Chinese Alliance Church. Yep. Uh, you know, any church that's tied to an ethnicity. Now, I know why that happens, especially here in Canada, where you have so many immigrants. And, and so the mother tongue, usually preaching is that. But soon their children are going to English-speaking schools. And they mm-hmm. got to start a second service for the children and for the teens in English. But even once it's all English, the uh, Reformed churches have stayed a lot of times with the majority of their members being of Dutch background. This has been comfortable for them. And, and I really think that has been a barrier. And, and that was one reason why Covenant Reform was making some inroads into the community. And in my opinion, not yet enough, but at least some better than a lot of um, churches coming out of a Dutch Reform background, having diversity, that you look more towards blood ties and family ties than you look to, hey, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, no mm-hmm. matter what your, your bloodline, your ethnicity. But people, Look, people still are, are social creatures and people also sociologically are comfortable with people who share some ethnic commonality. Foods, music, where you hang out, where you get your hair cut. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. There's a certain comfort level, but ideally the Church of Jesus Christ should incorporate a variety of, of foods and music and where you get your hair cut. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think part of it too is, and this isn't just, I guess, for the Dutch community, but also we see in the Chinese community um, that they have their own way of life and doing things. That's so, right. um, so for example, um, it, it's been a blessing getting to know my uh, my Dutch brothers and sisters <laughs> in Christ, and so like hanging out with them, um, mm-hmm. it, it really shows me how we um, racialize quote unquote white people, mm. like Dutch people. The Dutch community is not the Italian community. No, it is not the Portuguese no, community. No. Right. Right. But isn't and that so, also true and, of the black community? Yeah, the Kenyan yeah, community is right, not the Nigerian right. community. So, so, is not and, the Caribbean. And so for me, yes. so me, if, if I'm going to stereotype yes. right now, yes. based on the guys I hang out with, yes. Dutch people come across as hardworking, industrious, frugal people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in general. I think the Northern Europeans- In general, in general. I, I, mean, yep. I mean, based on, yep. on, on the guys, that, the circles that I yep. run in, the guys that I know. And when, and when, I, use those, when I use those terms, I'm saying in the positive sense, like, yeah. Like it, yeah and so it, it's pretty cool to see um, a community that, that, that ha- has cultural trends um, that, that um, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that are consistent, which is but pretty cool. But then Darnell, cool. let's, not, let's not forget- this also comes through the scripture. So these Dutch people you're talking about are not just secular Dutch, but they've been intergenerationally raised in Reformed churches. Mm. So they're hearing the preaching of the word that says, you know, look, you sluggard, go to the ant. You know, the ant is industrious. You as a worker got to be industrious. So generationally of that kind of preaching that, that God gives us, you know, we got to be working. And, and so this whole industry and the whole view of economics, that you don't borrow excessively, that you mm. work hard, you save up, you spend. And again, that's you guys' territory on well, economics. But right. I think that is why a lot of Dutch businesses, Dutch 
people have been successful, very scared about taking out great debt. Right, and, right, but also, it, it, but also their work in um in in creating schools as well, and then the um, education. It's been so it's been further reinforced by Christian schools, Christian day schools. Very few denominations have Christian day schools. You know, kindergarten through grade twelve, but right from the start, the Dutch Reformed churches said most of them said some of them didn't, but most of them said we want Christian day schools so that what is taught in the Christian home by Christian parents is reinforced in the Christian church by pastors, which during the week is reinforced in the Christian school. So you really reinforced the Christian message all the way around. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The, the, the Pentecostals only in the last maybe 20 years have sort of discovered a Christian education and Baptist churches now will have a school sometimes, a large church will have a school attached. But that only came up in the last 20, 30 years. But um, the Dutch Reformed have had Christian schools from the 1800s, even when the public schools were largely Christian. Uh, they still had separate Christian schools. So the the concept of, you know, let's say uh, a church that has a high ethnic focus, mm-hmm. to some extent, you know, the example you sort of laid out, it to me sort of is an example of that church fulfilling its primary ecclesial role of caring for its members mm-hmm. but then there you know so there's somewhat of a tension of the idea of being a place that th- those members can also help grow the church yes oh and- amen joel amen 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 to that and that's been a burden my whole ministry how can this sort of ingrown church you know really reach the community and mm-hmm. a lot of the Dutch reform, sadly, because they've only known Christian home and Christian day school, hardly know how to communicate the gospel to their unbelieving neighbor because mm-hmm. they've just been all so surrounded by the gospel. They, you know, they don't even go to the public school system. So it was very hard to reach out to families where kids were going to the public school system. Um, the Christian school kids didn't know the public school kids and, you know. So instead of having a youth group in a church that was mixed up of a variety of schools, you basically had your Christian school youth group. And it would be very hard for someone from the community as a teenager to, to, to enter easily into that youth group sometimes. Mm-hmm. Too many clicks and they can't. Yeah. Through. Yeah. So it's, it strengthens. It's kind of the, the analogy is often used as a greenhouse, like these little saplings, these little children need the greenhouse of the Christian school. But, you know, at some point, when does that become a, a standalone tree? And and mm-hmm. should we encourage? Though today in Toronto, you know, boy, to send Christian children to, to public high schools, given the agenda, that's kind of scary. Yeah, no, I think, and, and I, you know, I'm drawing also the parallel. Like, I see the same thing with the churches that are, let's say, language-based. Now, mm-hmm. not so much of the education piece, but the same same dilemma applies, right? You, yes. You're you've potentially made it very difficult for someone who's yes. in your, com- like, you know, seeing your church off the street to try to come yep. in. Hey, yep. that's not going to work. Or, or and, no. and no, again, I know that's not necessarily the primary role of the church. Yep. Right. But, but the, you know, the great commission is for the members of the church. Yeah. And so how, how is the church potentially hindering or, or not facilitating the ability for them to go out and do yep. that? 
It's a little different with, of course, people of Dutch background here in Canada, all English speakers, all the services in English. But yeah, any other language than English, it, it's just going to be a practical barrier. No community person can go into that. But often I found in those churches, I've known Portuguese churches and Korean speaking churches in LA. It's basically for the adults. Once their children have a few years in school, they're clamoring for English service. So you'll have a, a 930 service in Korean, and then maybe the teenagers go out for their English service for the sermon part, the teaching part, so mm -hmm. they can understand more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, from a, I, I think we do see churches being more aware. Um, I remember there's a, a Filipino guy that I heard speak. Um, and, and, you know, try, they, they were doing that within their church. They had a church that was, you know, sort of a safe haven for the Filipino immigrants who, mm -hmm. you know, had difficulties just, you know, becoming accustomed to the new country and, and new, everything new and different and yep. language and all that. And yep. now, you know, like you said, their children are coming up, they're speaking English. And now mm -hmm. how do we cultivate that? And, and so, um, I, I think there, there is continued discussion about how do we make our churches not so mono-ethnic. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I see the value in those churches for mm -hmm. the people who, yep. like the example I just laid out, right? The, the Filipino yep. immigrants yep. Who, who, if they don't have a Filipino church, mm -hmm. um, you know, how do we, what, what is the alternatives to some mm -hmm. extent? Exactly. And so those well, churches, I think I agree with you, Joel, they serve value in in a limited way but a, a value definitely within the community these ethnic churches as long as there's other churches for other folk they do serve some value yes indeed mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and but i guess part of the the pendulum swinging to the other extreme where uh if you're not if you're not multicultural your church is a multicultural then you're not you're not actually doing real ministry or you're not actually being faithful to what the kingdom is supposed to look like that's right and in a lot of communities, you get outside of Toronto, it's going to be a pretty white oh community. So churches yep. are going to look pretty white. Yep, yep, yep. It's only so, kind of in Toronto with our diversity or, or here in yes, Mississauga where I live that yes. we can see multi-ethnic uh, congregations. Yes. Yeah. And, and I guess that's an adjustment that I had to make when I left my, 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 my Caribbean mm -hmm. type church was that I had to kind of bite the bullet and say, okay, you know what? You're not you're not gonna find another, you know, you have to kind of keep your mind open to to fellowshipping and being a minority um mm -hmm. among a majority. Uh but I uh one of um uh a friend of ours, uh and he also works as a, a research consultant on the show, uh Stefan <laughs> Stefan New Style Dindile, aka the Econ Don. Um <laughs> and he said he said he said to me, um so when when he was at he was at the church with me, which was predominantly Caribbean, Caribbean uh -huh. background. And he said to me, and then and then he left for a predominantly white church. And he said to me when he left, he says, You know what, Darnell? When I was at the my Caribbean church, um we had a lot in common. We ate the same food, we listened to the same music. That's what brought us together. Mm -hmm. And we looked the same. And he says, When I got to this white church, the only thing we had in common was Christ. Mm. And that was enough. That yes. brought us closer than yep. us talking about, um, you know, what, what music and what food we used to eat back home. Yep. 
Yeah. And I was just exactly. like, oh, wow, that's so profound. I was like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Like out exactly. of all that stuff looking the same or whatever the case is, he's like, yeah, but when you guys have Christ in common, yeah, that's all you need. And and I'd like to emphasize that too. You know, we've talked about the CRC and the Dutch ethnic, but many of the CRC churches today, the United Reformed churches today, Presbyterian churches, you know, they're they're really seeking to preach Christ and and get people rooted in the gospel and and growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And so there are some doctrinal distinctives here and there, but the core is the core you're going to find in, you know, what. Our core in Reformed churches, I always say, is about maybe 85, 90% the same as any evangelical church, at least from the teaching point of view. Structurally, there's some differences. Yeah. Eldership and how we do some things, but doctrinally, yeah. 85, yeah, but, 90% is going to be the same. Yeah, but I think also, like, like I think culturally can also, it, it can be problematic where, um, where as much as, um, so, for example, um, uh, Hope, Hope, Hope uh, Bible Church was formerly known as um, Harvest Bible Chapel. Har- Har- Harvest oh, the one Bible along Chapel. the highway, the the, the four hundred one. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so you know, <laughs> had to rebrand my, thanks to uh, James McDonald. Yes. But yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, the yes. rebrand. So, so for me, my analysis of uh, of 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 that church was that, like, when I started like attending it to go see some some of my friends um, attend there. And I said, and I said, you know what? This church, the feel here, the word I would use is it's user friendly. Mm. It's user friendly, meaning that like it's it's well thought out, right? So when you when you show up, there's people meeting you every step of the way. It's so you're saying hand, this in a positive a, way. You're you're meaning user friendly in a positive way. Yeah, 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 in good, a positive way. Good, so, good. so you so yeah. you, so you show up. Um, yes. There's people you greeting know where to you. Go. Yo, because because the number one thing, the number one criticism that people yeah. give me, which I personally hate, they say, "Oh yeah, I showed up to the church and no one said hello to me." Oh, yeah, and I was yeah. and, and I was just like, "Sorry, that." So how was the word? What did the word say? Right, right. What is what what does their statement right. of faith say? But anyways, right. but yeah. what did but, you but, learn? But, no, yeah, they didn't. But, but, they didn't say hi to me when I walked in the door. Right. Well, no, but it's a, but it's a big thing. It's a big thing, and yeah. and it was kind of annoying. It was kind of annoying when I went to a Hope. Uh-huh. Like everywhere uh-huh. I turned, there were people greeting me, friendly faces. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I kind of felt like yeah. I've kind of felt like I was, I was being watched in the grocery store. Like I was going to steal something. <laughs> Can I help you with that? Can I help you with that? Right. As, <laughs> so, yeah, so when yeah, I get into yeah. the sanctuary, right, they, right, um, they have Bibles in the pews, mm-hmm. um, and, and 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 a pencil mm-hmm. and a paper to take notes. And then there's a little section for the cup to, to put your communion thing. And then, and then on, on the sheet, um, uh, it, it, it looks like um, it's, um, you know, it has, it has all the headings. It has everything. So it's not even blank. It's not right. blank. Oh, you got right? your it's sermon like, oh, outline. You got your main yeah, yeah, this, listed already. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. You got it listed. Uh-huh. And then little slots for you to, 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 to put your comments. Um, and, and so... And of course, you know, the music's contemporary. And the point is, you know, it's a good feel. Like you can walk right in. You don't even, you don't even have to be churched and you can come in and fit right in. Now, if you're going to a church, that's predominantly fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. You're not getting that, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, yeah, yeah, okay, yes, 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 you'll get hello. Yes, not to say, yeah. no, I'm a not, good I'm morning. not saying. Right. Yeah, because yeah, when, when, I, when I came to, to Covenant, 
when I came to Covenant, they, they were welcoming. It mm-hmm. was great, but it was clearly these yeah. aren't regular white people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Like, like there's, there, was, there was just a certain way that these guys did things. I still uh, remember the, there was one day I came in. <laughs> I came into your church, right? And uh-huh. um, so, Pastor Rand, like we just acknowledge, you, you, your wife is black, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, she's the only black woman in the church. Right, so I saw me and Tara show up. Yeah, maybe there weren't. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, that, okay, day, okay. that day, that day, right? that day. So me and Tara showed up, right? Yeah. And you know, so they went to seat us, and guess where they sat us? Oh, right next to. <laughs> right, like we knew her. So, yeah, yeah. So, so, so the, the but Asuncion was like, okay, here's two black people. They probably know yeah. the other black person. <laughs> <laughs> they they sat me entire next to her. So we're looking yeah. at each other. And we're like, and we kind of la- we laugh, you know, we laughed it off. Yeah, sure. It's sure. no, it's no big deal. Um, yeah. We thought it was funny, but it was just one of those things where you're like, yeah, sometimes you know, it's awkward going into churches mm-hmm. um, that are predominantly yeah. um, one yeah. particular group of people. And I would say, too, doctrinally, because Reformed churches, and I think Presbyterian churches, do emphasize a certain amount of Bible teaching and doctrinal knowledge. Yes. yes. I always say to people, you know, if, if you walk into an IT workplace, there's going to be some jargon you got to pick up. Any any workplace, uh, you know, yep. mm-hmm. is going yep. to have jargon. Yep. So yep, the music. And don't the music. be put off. There's going to be a music thing, a book. There's going to be songs you don't know. So take it a little easy. Yeah, focus on the word. What is the sermon? Is it faithful to the word? But then give the church a little slack to have some jargon or things, and 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 go back visit again. You know, don't judge a church in just a one time visit. But but what you said, Darnell, is exactly right. I, I always go back to Acts two forty two. You know, the early church, the first Christian church. In the entire world, the church, it was called Christian. Now, we kind of say sometimes Adam and Eve were the first Christians um, as God redeemed them. But the first Christian church after Jesus ascended back to heaven uh, was the church in Jerusalem. And the first thing that's said of them in Acts 2.42 is they, the believers there, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the word in the original can be translated, the apostles' doctrine. So I just think that is the is the order of the day. Someone was telling me in another country, he's a brother, he, he's he's in a Latin American country. He just says, you know, a lot of Christians, but so shallow in in basic biblical knowledge and biblical doctrine. Bible stories here and there can loosely put together some things from Old and New Testament, but what are the main Bible teachings? Can can I express them? And, and there's just such a lack of, of good biblical literacy. I, I would say in the evangelical world among just evangelical churches, I'd say 80% of evangelical Christians just have a very surface level knowledge of, of, of biblical truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you'd say to them, you know, the main theme in the book of Romans, justification. Can, can you at all describe or explain anything of justification? I mean, Martin Luther started the Reformation essentially on that doctrine of justification. But I think 80% of, of your evangelical churchgoer would just be mystified to even come close to knowing what does it mean that I'm justified or what is justification. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's the call of the day. And by and large, Reformed and Presbyterian churches have done pretty well in that. They haven't done so well in other areas. But and, ba- just and, 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 and Baptist, yeah, 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 and, and Baptist And, and the reform. Oh, yeah, indeed. You know, when you say Baptist, though, Darnell, you already mentioned an earlier Baptist denomination in Ontario. Yes, Reformed Baptist, I, I would agree. Uh, yeah. I knew yeah, some brothers I, in, in Southern California, solid, solid, solid. 
you know, yeah, the John but, Piper mold, kind of the, yeah, the Reformed I guess, Baptist. Yeah. But then, but then part of it too is getting back, kind of back to that that idea of denomination where churches have gone away from using the word Baptist or the word yeah. Reformed. So, so, so yeah. there are Reformed churches, there are Baptist churches that don't use the name the word. Reformed yes. Baptist it's Presbyterian. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's and and yeah. of course it's 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 better that way. It's it's better branding. I don't know if that's yeah. unbiblical. I don't know if that's sinful for me to say. No, there's nothing um, in the Bible. It's better branding says, for the church. No, nothing Can't in the have Bible. Can't a cool says, logo. Yep. No, nothing. Yep. That's just marketing, getting your name out there, inviting yeah, people yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you, you, you know, having your church, uh, you know, like there's a lot of graces, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of graces. It, it usually, if, if you if you name your church grace, that usually means that uh, you, you're reformed. <laughs> it's a little tip off. The word grace. It's a little tip off. Yeah. It's a we tip off. In yeah, God's yeah. sovereign yeah, grace. Yeah, the yeah. word grace is a little bit of a code word. Tip off. And then okay. And then what about uh, churches um, that that have um, the name, the hallway, the door, the gateway, the pathway, <laughs> the alleyway, <laughs> <laughs> the doorway. <laughs> Yeah. Usually, I try to stay very away from those. Very contemporary names nowadays. Not huh? very contemporary names. And, and anything with a doorway, I'm like, look, man, I'm not interested. <laughs> well, you haven't even talked about the flaming tongue church or the flaming prophetess church, and you know some of the Pentecostal names are quite creative. Yeah, 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 ra- yeah. Ra- raining fire. Yeah, the raining uh, fire church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. You know, it, it's yeah. You know, I'm laughing, but you know, it's it's one of those things where you know, you know. You know, being you know Christian, you know we can laugh at these things, but um, but yeah, it's just it's just interesting to look at how how denominations and churches you know um, brand themselves, present themselves, and and I and I've joked with guys before about attending reformed churches, and it's not reformed, mm, right? Like I like I I'm like okay, you know here I am, you know about yeah. to hear some doctrines of grace, some big God sovereignty yeah. regeration, and then I show up and I'm just like, oh wait, hold on. Wait, no, you can go to a Lutheran church today and you'll never hear a word about Martin Luther for five years. Right. You can go to a Methodist church today and not hear anything about their founders, John and Charles Wesley. Yes. So, Mm. yeah, things have just really drifted. And that goes back to an earlier topic. Yeah, actually, to to circle back to that, I, you know, when you were talking through that sort of brought, you know, I thought about the book of Revelation, seven churches. Mm -hmm. And and Mm. I'm curious, sort of, um, your thoughts on the idea that there's always there's a level of like there's a life cycle to a church yes um and and i'm curious how much does that lead or or how much does that play into the idea that um the to some extent we were talking about you know the the degradation of theological convictions Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. how much does sorry joel Joel, Joel, what do you mean by life cycle like there's a beginning and an end. Yeah, yeah, right. An like, increase, almost like a, a bell curve, up and down, and then a tailing off mm-hmm. as the years go by. It's not yeah. a bell curve, but it's but, yeah, but, yeah, a but, life cycle. You're right, a life cycle. Right, and and obviously it, there's exceptions, right? Like, just like I mean, life cycles in businesses. Yeah, there'll be exceptions. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, yeah. so one theme in that Joel is there've been a lot of reform preachers and probably other denominations as well that have said. Almost every generation needs revival, mm. or every generation needs a reformation. Mm-hmm. We, we can't rest on the laurels of our grandparents. So I think it's really good for churches to 
to really be praying. And, and by revival, I don't mean an emotion-filled kind of stuff, but just a real return to the Word, a time of prayer and searching the Scriptures and, and reading some of the old confessional statements. If your church is, is Anglican or Presbyterian or Methodist or Lutheran, my goodness, go back to, to your founders and see if you agree with their conclusions and their teachings or if you don't. But surely anything that is labeled something must mean something. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. yeah so so generationally there should always be revival well and, I, uh, I, as you say that word I, i'm looking on my shelf i have the martin lloyd jones revival that well, i'm still working yep. my way through but when i, I when a i was reformed little, guy there's a reformed guy right there huh <laughs> when when i was a little bit more active in reading it you know one uh-huh. of the, the big takeaways that i recall was many of the revivals were preceded by periods of returning to sound doctrine Yes. Yes. Amen to that. Indeed. Uh, and, and, and yeah. you know, sort of what we were talking about with life cycles and whatnot, yeah. you know, how yeah. I was thinking about much of the degradation of theology in those yeah. churches is also sort of symbolic of the, you know, why we see these, a lot of those churches diminishing Yeah. in, in yeah. terms of, again, going yeah. back to, you know, he's doing somewhat of a study in this book, not, not totally, but obviously this, this book revival is actually, I think a, a series of his sermons that are just yep. transcribed. Um, yep. and, and, but he does touch back to the past revivals and how, yep. um, there is a resurgence of, you know, yep. being a Berean, uh, within, exactly. within, and, and so, um, I'm curious what you would expect then with the denominations that we have. Do you suspect that there will be revivals or is it more of it's like what we said with churches, life cycles and, you know, new, the non-denominational and things along those lines sort of taking the place yeah it's hard to know you know i've emphasized doctrinal truth and biblical truth but let's not forget the core of the church is jesus him crucified the gospel Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i even think sometimes in heavily doctrinal churches there can even be an ossification a hardening of doctrine for the sake of doctrine Mm -hmm. and um you know a hundred years after luther um you know got into all theology and and the heritage of luther and the man luther and lutheranism became strong and powerful and and it became the state church in germany supported by tax dollars which didn't help either mm-hmm. but then you know in the 1800s you had a revival and, and there's a whole movement in germany now known by the historians as as german pietism which said look we're not just blindly following this man in history martin luther we're following we're supposed to be following jesus are you saved? Are you born again? Hmm. Have you put your trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Do you know what saving faith is? Have you repented of your sins? So even doctrinalism can can be a danger if, mm-hmm. if we lose sight mm-hmm. of our Savior. <laughs> yeah, and, and I know many Reformed people who love their Heidelberg Catechism. They love to hear about the sovereignty of God, and they can have a debate with someone, and but then having examined, look at that, their lives and how they conduct themselves, I, I've sometimes wondered, do they know Jesus? <laughs> they know their church history and their doctrine. Mm-hmm. But, so, so that too can become a danger. Yeah. And, and so and, revival is always rooted in the person and the work of Jesus, the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah. 
I mean, I think if I was to maybe go back to what I said too, I would say, you know, there's a there's a requirement to have sound doxology going with your mm-hmm. sound theology. Indeed. That precedes the the revivals. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, well, Indeed. if you're talking about revival um and in regards to like the issues that that we're seeing in the CRC church um with embracing of LGBTQ ideas and and so forth and it holding to the title of reformed and for those people who are dutch and attend through tradition do you think there will be um a um a change where some people will kind of like say hey you know what let's start a new one let's let's start a new a new crc or versus try to reform the one that they already have where do you see where do you see the future of the crc in the dutch community well well in all denominations that's always a debate when you have the evangelicals who love jesus who believe in basic bible teaching and they see their denomination going liberal whether it's the anglicans Mm -hmm. or the methodists or the presbyterians or the reformed it's always a bit of an inner debate shall we try to work from within and change the denomination yeah, or and that's what Paul Carter was arguing the last time. Or, or is it too far gone that we just have to start over? And mm-hmm. the Episcopalians in the states have now started, what is it, the Anglican Fellowship? I know a man who's a pastor in the Anglican Fellowship. They've given up on the Episcopalian Church, which here in Canada is the Anglican Church out of mm-hmm. England. It, it's just too, it's just too uh, modernistic and, and progressive, and it has no discipline, and, and everything under the sun is being taught there. So I think in some denominations, they're just too far gone. With the Christian Reformed Church, my mother church, look, my, my parents are in it. My grandparents were in it, all four grandparents. All eight grand, great-grandparents were in it, you know, going back to the 1880s. So for me to leave, it was very a very hard thing. And uh, I think it could go either way. Either it will return more to its roots, or it will continue on the pathway towards modernism. And um, there'll be no church. And, and Europe is full of those type of churches yeah. where it's well, just uh, social work. It's feed the hungry. It's do good. And, and there is no Jesus and him crucified. There is no blood atonement. There is no, there's no, even no heaven or hell. Uh, Jesus, no resurrection from the dead. Mm. Yeah. Well, sorry, but sorry, why did you leave the CRC? Well, it was on in the 1980s. There were not the LGBTQ issues in the 1980s and 90s. It was um, essentially some professors at the denominational college were saying that the early chapters of Genesis were just uh, parables or fables or myth, and they weren't real history. So anything about the Garden of Eden or an actual Adam, an actual Eve, an actual tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even an actual flood, Noah's flood. All of these are, are myths and, and stories that the Jewish people told over against the Babylonians and the Akkadians and the early, early other myths. Mm. None, of that, none of this happened in history. Only when you get to the call of Abraham in Genesis 12, you start having real history recorded in the Bible. And that was scary because it just denied a lot of essentials in, in our view. Mm. If you don't have an Adam created perfect, how can you have a fall? And if you didn't have a fall, how can you how can you have a second Adam? And Jesus speaks of a historical Adam and 
Yeah. Now Mm -hmm. I'm open to some different theories. You know, I'm not myself a a seven day, 24 hour or a six day, 24 hour (laughs) creationist. I think there can be flexibility on that. And and that's a more secondary or tertiary issue. Mm -hmm. But I do believe you, you have to hold to God being the creator and, and, and an actual Adam and an actual Eve. Uh, as minimums, at least. So um, I've so, I've delved into the, let's call it the the Genesis one to three, mm-hmm. you know the the young Earth, old Earth, creationist type mm-hmm. stuff a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll I'll say when you were first talking, I thought that was sort of the focus of your your rationale for leaving. But then as you got to the Genesis twelve comment, I was like, okay, this makes a little more sense. And and I wanted to ask you though, with respect to. Um, the young earth, old earth mm-hmm. creationist type d- debate. One of the comments I had heard was that historically Jewish historians had had there was a there was a and I'm I'm gonna probably brutalize this, but but let's say a little bit of a parable nature to the mm-hmm. the Adam and Eve story. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I'm curious your your thoughts on that, whether you know are people stretching with those type of comments. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just curious on that. Boy, this context. could be another whole episode because <laughs> I was directly involved in those debates when I was a student at Calvin College, the denomination of the denominational university of the Christian Reformed Church, and we had debates with young Earth uh, people there and and all of that. But just just real quickly, Genesis one clearly has poetic elements. In most of our English Bibles, it's actually <laughs> blocked with more white space. So the translators are hinting that something different is going on with Genesis 1, then goes on with Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. So I think surely Genesis 1 has some poetic elements. Mm. But for the rest, I'm more comfortable saying it's history or surely rooted in history. I I wouldn't take every detail. You know, what are the details? There's, There's rivers flowing and there's no rain until Noah's flood and there's mists. And, you know, who can figure out what that is? Mm-hmm. Now, I know the Young Earth people and Creation Research Institute out of California has it all kind of figured out what those mists were, but most Bible scholars will say, we, we just can't figure mm-hmm. this out. We're just not given enough information. We can guess. We can have some theories. Uh, but yeah, nicely in most Reformed denominations, um, conservative denominations, there's still an allowance for some variety on, on your view of creation. Um, especially in the age of the earth. Mm-hmm. And even if there's literal 24-hour days, and one thing that's always been kind of convincing to me, you know, you don't have a sun created until day four of the creation week. You have a cycle of light and darkness, but you don't have 24-hour days, it seems to me, un- until you have a sun and you have an earth revolving around a sun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think there's there's some room there. and And I think... We just got to be careful not to make the Bible say more than it's saying. And, and then our outreach, even to people who say, look, I, I've studied biology or I've studied chemistry and, and there's no way it can only be a 6,000 year old earth. And I would hate them to just cut off all of Christianity because of one theory that's adopted by one church mm-hmm. about how old the earth is. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that, you know, let's say a staunch, like no other option perspective sort of is like mm-hmm. boxing in mm-hmm. God and his omniscience. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no, I would, I would agree 100. You know, up to like his his power. Yeah. Like, and the stupid comment yeah. I would make is like he he could have created the Earth six thousand years ago to look yes. a million and a half years indeed. old. Like, indeed, you know, indeed. Um, Saint Augustine said the mystery for him is not that it took a twenty four hour day each of the six seven days. Why didn't God just do it in one second? <laughs> <laughs> why why was God taking a process? Yeah, what's what's this deal of stretching it out for so long? <laughs> yeah. He just spoke and it appeared. Yeah, so so I do agree with you 100%, Joel. And and there, there's there's good debates, and I think lively debates, but I think they should should not divide churches on young earth, old earth, as long as people have, you know, a literal Adam made from the dust of the earth, Eve created from his side, a literal fall into sin at the instigation of the devil, and those things. But yeah, that's another whole topic. Hey, I'd, I'd be I have some knowledge on that and some history in, in, in some of these things. So maybe another time on, on, on that topic, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. There's, I think it's a, it's a rabbit trail. We could, we could go down and uh, <laughs> I know, I know, as I said, I've delved into it a bit. So uh, uh-huh. maybe, maybe another time we can uh, yeah. have a podcast yeah. on the age of the earth and, and sure, the beginning sure. of it. I, and, and look, I'm not an expert in that. There are people who do much more reading in that, and I can direct you even to some pastor friends of mine, if, if you would want, uh, who are much more knowledgeable in that particular item. So, yeah. yeah. No, I well, think- well, we thank you for your time. Yes. Yeah. Grateful. Hey, would you mind if I just give a quick shout out that sure. I have a podcast or we have a podcast also? Of course. Tell, yeah, tell the sure. listener how they can reach out to you, how they can find out what you're doing or what yeah. you have to say. If they so like the best to. way is just to search any search engine podcast. And our name of the podcast is Mission Upside Down. Three words, Mission Upside Down. We get that from Acts 17, where Paul was said to be turning the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus and how the gospel of Jesus does turn almost everything on its head in our natural and sinful way of thinking. So yeah, we've been around for a couple of years, and um, yeah, yeah, I'll make sure uh, the listener can can find that in the show notes page. Um, if there's any way that they wanted to reach out with you, is there a way to do that? Yeah, or? we don't have that kind of stuff yet, where we're <laughs> in, you know talking to people and getting feedback. We, we got to upgrade, uh, I suppose, get a little more professional, like you guys are. <laughs> Well, thanks for the compliment, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, professional backyard podcasters. There you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. But we really appreciate uh, your time um, and your insights. Well, thanks. It's been yes, great to be you. with you. And uh, we'll do it again sometime in the future. Sounds yeah, yeah, good. definitely. Th- thanks a lot, Pastor Ryan. Yep. But you heard me. Does that make sense? Madden and Mitchell Media. 